verse number 23. We'll read through the end of the chapter. As we consider tonight the subject of intercessory prayer. Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. Father, help us as we consider in our time together this evening this crucial passage of Scripture early in the Old Testament that establishes for us a wonderful pattern of the essentials of intercessory prayer, the effectiveness of intercessory prayer. And Lord, really for us too, the encouragement to be intercessors. I ask for your help as I seek to communicate some principles from this passage that will help all of us believers as we look to this new year and the responsibilities and the privileges that we have in it to be intercessors. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest of all intercessors, the one who made intercession for transgressors, the one who ever liveth to make intercession, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, the one who is that mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. The commentator John Phillips states in his commentary on the book of Genesis that this recorded prayer of Abraham's intercession was, by George Mueller's own testimony, the foundation of his remarkable prayer life. When it came to the principles that would motivate him, this is where George Mueller said he began. Another commentator, Matthew Henry, said that this is the first solemn prayer 
recorded in Scripture. And that being the case, I think it's significant that of the different kinds of prayer, this first solemn prayer recorded in Scripture is a prayer of intercession. Another said that this is the first time a man initiates conversation with God in the record of Scripture. This passage, because the Lord Jesus, pre-incarnate, had just finished eating with Abraham, is the only record in all of the Old Testament of a mortal eating a meal with God. This is the third time that it's recorded in the Old Testament, the Scripture, that a man walked with God, the first being Enoch, the second being Noah. I think it's significant that Abraham, the father of the faith, and this first mention, if you would, of intercessory prayer is the one that God uses to set a precedent for the priority of intercessory prayer. The father of faith, Hebrews eleven six, shows us that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that, what, cometh to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then I'm reminded, too, as we think of the priority of intercessory prayer that Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, tells us that first of all, he would that prayers and intercessions and supplications and giving of thanks be made for all men. And it's just loaded with the idea of intercession for kings and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life. The priority of being an intercessor. And so I would say this before we consider the characteristics that, of an intercessor that Abraham models for us. Intercession pleases God and should be a priority of every believer. And again, there may be gifts that you don't have, but every believer can pray. And more specifically, every believer can be an intercessor. I notice, first of all, as we look at the example of Abraham, that an intercessor... Number one, draws near to God. As you look at verse number 22, the two angels pass on before the Lord, and the Lord stays with Abraham to talk. Notice verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Obviously, because this was an Old Testament visible presence of the Lord, this is a what we call Christophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do no injustice whatsoever to the Scripture to say that this is Abraham and Jesus having a conversation. Okay. And the Bible tells us that Abraham drew near at the beginning of his intercession. Drawing near speaks of intimacy. It speaks of worship. It speaks of closeness. Abraham in his action of drawing near, though he is an Old Testament saint, anticipates the great liberty and the access of every New Testament believer into the presence of the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Abraham predates the Levitical system, which would in a certain sense limit the individual believer's access through a human priest. But because of the pre-incarnate presence of Christ, Abraham is allowed to draw near through Christ the Christophany, if you would. And it's a testimony of his relationship with the Lord. Remember, the Bible calls him the friend of God. 
It's the picture of a child coming near to the father to make a request. Daughters are especially good at this. Coming up close and sweetness and cuddling up next to daddy. And then there's that calling daddy with a little raise in the inflection at the end that implies a question mark. Daddy? And all of a sudden, a wizened, experienced father knows something's up. Daddy? But what is she doing? She's coming on the basis of relationship. One of the things now to speak about a son that I love about Judson, Judson just comes right in the front door. And he's not afraid to ask. And he's not afraid to ask big. He asks. But it's on the basis of a relationship. And let me tell you something. If you and I are going to be intercessors, we have to cling to and lay hold of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and draw near in intimacy and in fellowship. I read recently of an owner who had two dogs and the dogs, as the story goes, were arguing in the backyard one day about which of the two of them was the stronger, better pet to the owner. And the one dog that prided itself in its being big and strong said, let's have a contest to prove who's the best. Let's see which one of us can get into the house on our own the quickest. And so that dog went up and put its mouth on the doorknob and with its paws began to work. And after about three minutes in the exertion of a lot of energy was able to open the door and get in. The other dog, though not as big and strong as the other, when it was its turn, it simply went, scratched a little bit on the window and whimpered and the owner came within 30 seconds (laughs) and let that dog in. Access is gained best by relationship, not effort. Access is gained on the basis of relationship. It's by the Spirit of God, by the person of Christ, that we have the best understanding of our access when we draw near. Fanny Crosby told the story that one day William H. Doan, the songwriter, had sent her Uh, the music, the score with no words to a song, but he had this tune and he wanted her to put words to it. And there was a, a time constraint. She was needing to get that music back to him soon. He needed it for publication. And she had hit a wall. She got up one morning and was just straining with every ounce of mental and spiritual energy that she could to, to come up with the words for this tune. What did this tune say? And as she was straining and working, trying to think of what that tune said and words to put to that tune, the Spirit of God convicted her heart and reminded her that she had not spent her usual time in prayer that day. She stood up from the desk, walked away from the paper and pen, and went to her closet and began to pray, as she did every day. And as she prayed, the words came, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And it was out of prayer that that wonderful hymn was born. The intercessor begins by drawing near. If you're going to intercede, if you're going to be an intercessor, you've got to draw near to the Lord. And aren't you glad that when you draw nigh to him, he will what? Draw nigh to you. Secondly, as we look at the pattern of Abraham, I notice that an intercessor not only draws near, but an intercessor does not demand. The intercessor does not come 
with demands and presumptuous entitlement. You're a God that makes me happy. If you're really God, do this. I deserve this or that person deserves this. That's a very poor basis because none of us deserves anything. And so the intercessor does not demand. Abraham in his life, he evidences a bold yet deep humility which only an intimate knowledge of God can give. It's an interesting balance coming with boldness and yet an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And you sense that. And we'll talk in a few moments about his humility further. But it does not come demanding. Import, or, uh, in, uh, intercession does not. I notice Abraham's approach. The first is this. He asked questions in his praying. Did you notice that there are four question marks? Look at verse 23. Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Notice verse number 24. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? And then that famous question in verse number 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Verse number 28. Peradventure there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And so an intercessor does not demand with a presumptuous attitude of entitlement, but in their approach, Abraham models for us the importance of asking questions. Questions that also get this, and Abraham models this, appeal to the character of God. Abraham appeals to the character of God and several different statements that he makes uh, to the Lord. Notice verse number 25, that be far from thee, that is to include the righteous in the judgment of the wicked. That be far from thee. He says it twice in verse number 25. That be far from thee. God, this would be out of character to you. The idea is this. It, God, it's repulsive to you to judge the righteous in with the wicked. I would say this in the scheme of what we call biblical theology, the development of theology from the chronologically from the beginning of Scripture to the latter part of Scripture, there are times when in natural disasters and things like that that righteous people do experience tragedy. Okay. But I'm glad to say this. Abraham's on to something here. But he's saying, listen, Lord, on the basis of a handful of righteous... For the sake of the righteous, would you spare the wicked? 2,000 years after this, the Lord Jesus Christ would refuse to be delivered as the only innocent, just one that's ever lived so that the wicked could be spared. But Abraham appeals to the character of God. And by the way, as I understand it, this was one of the points that was so captivating to George Mueller. When George Mueller would pray 50,000 plus dated specific answers to prayer, when he would pray, he would use this approach of Abraham in the sense of questions that appealed to the character of God. And he would pray in this way, Lord, you're the one. Are you not the one who in Scripture says that you're the one who will be the father to the orphan? Is that not what you've said of yourself and your word? And so, Lord, based on what you've said in your word, I'm asking you, will you not provide? These are not my orphans, Lord. These are your orphans. And so our approach as intercessors is not with demands of entitlement, 
But I do notice this. Abraham didn't quit easily. He didn't quit, did he? You see this. He says in verse number 29, And he spake unto him, what are the next two words? Yet again. What a challenge for us. Notice verse number 32. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, what? Yet but this once. I'm going to speak yet one more time. One more time. It reminded me of Luke 11 in verse number 8 when a man had a friend come to him at midnight who hadn't had supper and he didn't have any bread in the house. So he went to his neighbor and pounded on the door. And you remember that the neighbor, the, the scripture says that the neighbor didn't get up and give the man the three loaves of bread in the middle of the night. Remember, he had his kids in the bed with him. He didn't do it because he was a friend. He did it because of the man's importunity. If I don't give him this bread, he's going to keep knocking on my door. Then I think about Luke chapter number 18 in verses 5 and 6, the story of that unjust judge who was troubled. He used the word troubled by the widow lady. And uh, her continual coming was going to weary him. And yet, listen to what the unjust judge says. If that unjust judge will rule on behalf of a widow who wouldn't leave him alone, shall not the Lord move on behalf of his people, his children, when they cry continually unto him day and night. And he does so on the basis not just of importunity, but relationship. Alexander McLaren, the commentator, said of this thought here of Abraham's importunity that Abraham hung onto God's skirt like a cocklebur. <laughs> I like that. Thirdly, an intercessor desires mercy without any compromise to God's justice. The intercessor desires mercy without any compromise to God's justice. As we pray for God to work on behalf of others, we need to desire the mercy of God, but the understanding that His justice will not be compromised. Abraham prays for the deliverance of the righteous, innocent handful of people in the city, even as he whittles the number down. And in so doing, understands that that would mean that God would spare the wicked majority. When he says, Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? It's the idea, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? The word spare that he uses when he references to even in saving the righteous, even if it means sparing the wicked, it's the idea of picking them up and doing the sweeping. But get it, what Abraham is talking about is not toleration or justification of the wickedness of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not overlooking their sin. It's not soft-coating it. But he's asking for the sakes of the righteous. It is interesting to me that in his entire intercession, though you sense clearly that at the heart of Abraham's prayer is a burden for his nephew Lot, he does not mention Lot's name. I believe Abraham had an understanding of the fact that Lot, fact that Lot was not what he was, should be. So he doesn't even say, Lord, Lot! He leaves that to the Lord. Every new number. As we think about the intercessor desiring mercy and yet with no compromise to God's justice. Every new number, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20... 10, every new number demonstrates two significant things. Number one, it demonstrates Abraham's compassion. 
that is a model of compassion for every intercessor. But it also demonstrates, every new number, demonstrates the grace of God, too. Not only Abraham's compassion, but God's grace. And several of the commentators I read in preparation for this evening said that the tone of the passage, if you read behind the lines as far as what God's view is, God's heart is, it's almost as in this interchange back and forth as Abraham says 50 and then 45 and then 40 and then 30 and then 20 and then 10 that as Abraham does that, the heart of God is almost drawing him to keep going lower. Because that is the merciful heart of our God. Keep going lower. So we might ask, why did he stop at 10 then? Some have speculated that maybe Abraham was tallying. Lot, Lot's wife, Two daughters in the house, two daughters already out of the house who were married, and then chapter number 19 mentions sons, plural. Maybe Abraham was thinking, maybe there are ten, or maybe Lot's reached a few of his neighbors. I like this one too, as far as a possibility. The reason Abraham stopped at ten is because two great truths came together. Number one, in his interaction with the Lord, he saw clearly that God is gracious. If he can go from 50 to 10, that's grace right there. But secondly, not only is God gracious, but Abraham realized clearly that God will always do right. But I want you to notice, fourthly, the intercessor demonstrates humility. So just a brief review. Number one, the the intercessor draws near in intimacy on the basis of relationship. Number two, the intercessor does not demand or make presumptuous entitlement or think that anything is deserved. Number three, the intercessor desires the mercy of God and the grace of God without any compromise to God's justice. But number four, the intercessor demonstrates humility. Abraham says, I've taken upon me to speak to the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. It says, I'm, I'm, in a sense, going out on a limb here. And it's an illustration of his humility. Twice, oh, let not the Lord be angry. He says, yet but this once. Just, just, Just one more time, Lord, I know I don't deserve this. He didn't mention Lot's name. The attitude is, Lot doesn't even deserve this. But Lord, it's your character, it's your mercy, your grace. As we think about humility in relationship to intercession, I read an interesting story recently. Many of us have heard the name of the London Baptist pastor, F.B. Meyer. How many of you have heard the name F.B. Meyer before? What about the name G. Campbell Morgan? Heard of G. Campbell Morgan. What about the name C.H. Spurgeon? What about the name Alexander McLaren? I just mentioned his name. Do you know all four of those men pastored in the greater London area at the same time? F.B. Meyer, in a very raw moment of transparency, 
was talking about intercessory prayer, and he said, you know, laboring in the same city with Morgan and C.H. Spurgeon, G. Campbell Morgan and C.H. Spurgeon, he said, it was easy for me to pray for God's blessing and power on G. Campbell Morgan's ministry when he was across the Atlantic preaching in the U.S. But when he came back to London and was just a short distance away, and he said, so I decided, here was I going to do, and By his own testimony, F.B. Meyer not only continued to pray, God, would you bless, would you bless G. Campbell Morgan's ministry. God, put your hand on him, give him fruit for his labor, bless his ministry. But he even, as I understood it, got up a couple of times on Sunday morning and said, listen, we all love to hear G. Campbell Morgan preach, so let's all just go to church over there tonight. (laughs) But then he realized I got C.H. Spurgeon on the other side of me. He said, I just continued to pray for the blessing of God on both of those men. And he said, here's what happened. The the spillover of the blessing of God on G. Campbell Morgan and on C.H. Spurgeon's ministry affected F.B. Meyer's ministry. And he said, I got all I can do to keep busy feeding the sheep I have. What a testimony of humility in intercession. And Abraham models that. But I want you to notice fifthly and finally... That the intercessor not only draws near on the basis of relationship, the intercessor does not demand with any kind of presumptuous entitlement. Instead, the intercessor desires mercy without any compromise to God's justice. And the intercessor demonstrates humility in the approach to God. But number five, and this is key, this is key. The intercessor, in the final analysis, defers to the decision of God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What's the understood answer to that question? Yes. And regardless of how God answers the prayer prayed by the intercessor, the intercessor needs to pray and trust in the sovereignty of God and defer the final decision to God. The God who sees and knows If you go back to chapter number 18, the Lord and explaining why he's going to tell Abraham what he's going to do. He says, uh, because he'll command his children, verse number 19 of chapter 18, he'll command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken. Notice verse number 20. And the Lord said, because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I want you to think about this. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is, come unto me, and if not, I will know. I have a question for you. Did God have to come down in order to know that? Do you know what God's doing in doing what he does? He's making it clear to Abraham and to others. From the sake of our finite perspective, he's making it clear that when he judges, he does so with full knowledge. And man may not fully understand, but for our own finite limitations, he makes it clear he has condescended to see and know. He is the God who shares with others what his moral system is. He is the God who warns of judgment to come. 
I have a commentary in my library written by a man who's a Jew and not a Christian. Many of you have heard his name before, Dennis Prager. Prager University. And from his perspective, it's fascinating. He's not a saved man, and so there are obviously going to be major limitations. But I loved what he said about our God. He said, our God is morally predictable. He is morally predictable. And then I would add to this, even if not currently understandable. By faith, I'm glad to tell you there is a day coming when he will be completely understandable. Through faith, we understand his workings as we need to know these things. And so the intercessor defers to the decision of God. He is the judge of how much? Of the earth. Not just Jew, not just Christian, but he's the judge of all the earth. And so the intercessor defers to the decision of God. In conclusion, it's apparent that Abraham's underlying desire was to save Lot and his family. That's part of what motivated his intercession. And yet, the agreement did not specify that, the agreement that he had with God. I was kind of humored and a little puzzled. A lot of uh, several commentators said Abraham was dickering with God bargaining with God, striking a deal with God. I'm not quite uh, of a mind to use that terminology. But it's interesting to me that the agreement that God gave to Abraham's request, his intercession, now get this, laid God under no obligation to spare Lot and his family. If there were ten or nine or less in the city, based on the agreement, there was no obligation on God, so to speak, to spare the city, including Lot and his family. But as you look at chapter number 19, verse number 29, it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. And so God demonstrates mercy, great and grace that was free by delivering Lot even when it went beyond what his agreement would have been with Abraham. Even when Lot was slow to leave the city, even when his wife looked back, even when his daughters, you might have gotten them out of Sodom, but you couldn't get Sodom out of them. God in mercy delivered Lot and his wife and those two daughters for Abraham's sake. It's what Abraham requested. It's what Abraham wanted in his heart. Even though Abraham, at the end of the conversation, may likely have had no expectation of it. From our human view, it seems fitting in a certain sense that it would have almost been better to have allowed Lot and his wife and those two wicked daughters to be destroyed inside. based on what they were about to do with the freedom that they were given. But aren't you glad that you and I are not the judge of all the earth? He's the judge of all the earth. 
And so not only does he, Abraham as the intercessor, not only does God give him his desire in delivering Lot, but the judge of the earth, all the earth, does right in another sense. Not only are the wicked, in a sense, given an opportunity because of Abraham's testimony, Remember that previously Abraham with 318 trained servants had delivered the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah when they had been taken captive by the king of Kedorlaomer. They had had a testimony, a witness of God. And so they were given an opportunity. Abraham's intercessory desire was answered. And in a fascinating way, the judge of all the earth did right. Remember that the Lord here is the Christophany. It is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, who, get this, had part in sparing Lot and his daughters, the oldest of which, even in the wickedness of an incestuous relationship, would give birth to a boy named what? Moab. Now, follow this. The pre-incarnate Lord Jesus has part in sparing Lot and his daughters, who even in her wickedness will get her dad drunk, and an incestuous relationship will result in a little baby boy named Moab, who a thousand years later would have a descendant born to the people of Moab, a little girl named Ruth. Ruth, who would, as you know the story, marry Boaz, who would have a son named Obed, who would have a son named Jesse, who would have a son named David, who many generations later would have a son named Jesus. So the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus does what is right in his counsels, in his infinite wisdom, and in so doing has part, can I say this, in sparing the DNA of the incarnation that 2,000 years later would result in a human body being made in the womb of Mary. that our Lord Jesus would take upon himself. And so the intercessor defers to the decision of God. Listen, you may pray about something and you may not see an answer in your lifetime and the answer that you think you see may not be what you wanted, but remember the judge of the earth will always do right. And the working that he is doing, and it may be generations down the road, and so we take part in the privilege and the responsibility of intercession, but in so doing, we trust the judge of the earth to do right. And so may we be, like never before in this coming year, committed to the work of intercession. It's said in the modern missionary movement era in the early 1800s that when missionaries first took the gospel to Africa and they would preach Christ to African tribes, that because of the one-room huts and not having church buildings that uh, the African believers who were fervent in their love for the Lord Jesus in communication with him would just each of them have a secret place off in the jungle where they would go pray. 
And they would frequent that place so much that every African believer had a specific path into the jungle that led to his spot where he met the Lord. And so it became something of an accountability too among those African believers. And if one of them was beginning to act in a way that didn't model and mirror the Lord Jesus, another African believer would humbly say to that believer, I think there's a little grass growing on your path. You know, as I came across that illustration, I just looked in a spiritual mirror and I said, Lord, I want to make sure that there's not grass beginning to grow on my path, but that I am involved in the work of intercession as I should be. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this example in the life of Abraham, this this Bible study tonight. I pray that we would be a people of fervent intercession, drawing near to you and not doing so with any presumptuous entitlement, remembering that you are the God of mercy, but not at the expense of your justice. I thank you for your grace. Thank you that you draw us in to bring in the number down, in a sense, just like you did with Abraham. God, I thank you that we can do all of our interceding with the assurance that you as the judge of the earth will do right. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.